Welcome, Misha. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So, Misha, you are a tabletop role-playing game and a LARP designer, and you have your own business and Kickstarter coming out. Uh, we do. Uh, I'm one-third of New Agenda Publishing. We're a relatively new venture, although the, the principals, uh, me, Loyola Santa, and Jerry Grayson have been around for a while. Our first Kickstarter is Arun, which starts uh, started October 11th, runs through November 11th, so hop on, grab a copy. It's uh, our homage to, to space opera and, and sci-fi, but through a Afrofuturistic lens. So we're looking forward to, to getting it into people's hands. So tell me a little bit more about that. What do you mean by an Afro lens, like specifically? Uh, so we we tried to design the game as if uh, one of the things we did, for example, is we don't have any humans. Just flat out, no humans. Um, so what would the world look like if, or what would a world look like without humanity at all? And And explore some of the concepts of what it means to be a species, what it means uh, for a species to interact, what it means uh, for a world to have transcended things like money and, and poverty, but also at the same time to have that taken away from them. And so some of those are themes that are always running through the background of the world. Uh, at the same time, it's a, a layer of um, just kind of, hey, how do we go and solve the, the rest of the world's problems uh, in in uh, a way that's been guided by principles brought down from from somewhere else. That's really interesting. I guess, like, let let's back up. Like, tell me about the game. How did in more detail? How did the concept come to be where it is today? Uh, so it started uh in a <clears throat> sorry a Google community that uh Aloys set up uh for Black game designers, of which there are a, a surprising few of us. But surprisingly, it's it was more than I thought, but less than I hoped at the same time. Um, and some of us uh, got together and and we were banding around. You know, it's like, oh, hey, you know, if we were to do a game together, what would we want to do? And and uh, uh, my two great loves of sci-fi are Star Wars and Star Trek simultaneously. Um, I like the exploration of the worlds of Star Trek, but I like the diversity of the worlds of Star Wars. Um, and, and kind of the what you do, more of the exploration side of it... Uh, versus the hey let's fight an evil empire side of it and Aloy and, and Jerry were down with the, that idea too and so we just started you know spitballing ideas back and forth it went through a couple of iterations before we we uh we, came, we landed on the the core concepts that we, we ended up with but uh yeah it was kind of it was a lot of very interesting meetings because the, <laughs> the three of us are very different personalities um but uh, uh I think it worked out pretty well that's awesome what are you what are you most excited by about the Kickstarter and about the game? Um, some of the artwork that's been that that uh, our, our artists have been doing for it is is just simply amazing. Um, just taking it's like all right, we kind of gave them like sketchy. It's like well, we kind of want this insectoid kind of creature, and it's like the, we we did give them like a few rules, like you know if it's not mammalian, it doesn't have boobs. Okay, just just flat out, just none of that. Um, <laughs> so, so watching, seeing how how. Uh, the artist interprets that like I would never have imagined um, the uh, the the babachi, which is our aquatic race. I would have never thought that, but now, but once he put that on paper, it's like, oh, that is perfect. I love it. It is so <laughs> alien and strange and nothing I've ever really seen uh, as a character type before. 
that it's great and perfect and I love it. And and just all the stories that are being told in the world. We hired um, 11 writers to help us finish up uh, the different worlds to get kind of a diversity of opinions. Because, yes, while well, we, the three of us, probably could have done it uh, all of ourselves, we wanted to have uh, more than just the three of us influencing it. So the the worlds that the, the our writers are building are, are, again, nothing I, more than I hoped, uh, but just, and I just love all of the, what that's coming out of it. And I'm going to save some of the examples for, for people to actually see when they get their hands on it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> that sounds awesome that like, it's, it's more than what you expected and more than what you originally like dreamt up and realized. Yeah. You could have done the writing, but you chose to hire uh, 11 different writers. Can you tell me about that process, about them, about how, yes. you know, you said you wanted some diversity. Tell me about that. Uh, so one of the things we were, we were clear about from the beginning when we start, when we started the venture is we wanted to hire people who don't look like what most people think of when they think of RPG designer. Um, so we put out an open call, spe specified, hey, we want you know, if you're female, if you're non-binary, if you're black, if you're Hispanic, if you're, you know, just not your standard straight white guy, we'd like to hear from you. Send us a sample of your work. Um, and then we kind of did a blind process. We took the submissions, we kind of ranked them, um, and then we went back and looked at from the rankings, all right, these are the people we want to work with. Um, and we ended up with uh, a really cool crew. Um, it's more women than men. Uh, it's... Uh, <laughs> Not as straight as one would think. Uh, it's 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 a really cool cast uh, cast of characters, and and I'm really happy to work with all of them. That's awesome. Why is that diversity so important to you? Yeah, so I, I'm a black woman of a certain age. So I I started RPG playing uh, more than twenty years ago now, and just I there's still very few cons where I walk into and I sit down at a table and. It's more people who look like me than people who don't. Blurred Con is like the one exception I've had where it was like the inverse of every other con I've been to where, you know, I could pick out the three white people who were there as opposed to the three black people who were there. And and so it was important for me and, and for, for all of us to make sure that those stories and those voices are being heard and are being amplified and are being put out into the world to, to say, hey, it is... Uh, the, we we are here. We we are here. We do this regularly. This is a thing that we are passionate about, and and this is a thing we want to exist in the world for sure. So let's backtrack. You said that you have been playing games for twenty years. Tell me about how that all started, and where did you kind of feel you move from gamer to designer and i i would love to hear the story behind that <laughs> uh so i started playing um i i am a georgia tech alumni um i started um me and my buddy uh went to see mortal Kombat, and we're waiting for the movie to start because you know we had to take the the train because neither of us had a car so we're sitting around in the the 
cafeteria area of the mall waiting for the movie because we got there early. And uh, these guys are at a ne- the next table over, have books and dice, and, and they're, you know, sitting around playing. You know, and I'd seen, like, the Dungeons and Dragons cartoon, uh, so I kind of had an idea of, you know, okay, this was probably what they're doing. Uh, but I had never played before, so, you know, we kind of wandered over, like, oh, what are you doing? It's like, oh, we're getting ready to start a campaign of Earth Dawn. Um, and they said, hey, you know, do you want to try it? And we're like, yeah, sure. Uh, so the next day we met at the Student Center at Tech, and uh, that was how it started. Um, we played, I played with that group for till the GM graduated in, in about a year, and then I moved on to a couple other groups. Um, and then I moved to Baltimore, and I kind of took a little hiatus because it's like I didn't want to be the creepy old guy who goes to the colleges and, and tries to find a gaming group because, you know, <laughs> yeah, he's just don't want to, it's weird. Uh, so, uh, I took a hiatus until, um, my daughter was actually in preschool and we're on the playground and one of the, uh, other parents, again, has a gaming book and I'm like, oh, I, I recognize that game. And and we started talking and he invited me to, to, uh, play with, uh, his group and that's how I got back into role-playing. That was about eight years ago. Um, and then how did I start designing? A buddy from my group from one of my groups said, hey, uh, you want to be a stretch goal writer for, for my game? I'm like, uh, yes? What does that mean? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I'd run games, uh, so I, I kind of had an idea about the, the, you know, how to structure an adventure, for example, or, or how to create characters and NPCs and stuff like that. So I did a stretch goal for him, and then uh, there was an open call for Chill, um, so I, I submitted something for them and I wrote stuff for, uh, their save source book. And then I wrote for a couple other ones and then I just kind of kept tumbling into it. <laughs> <laughs> and what do you love about designing versus gaming? Uh, it's kind of an extension for me. Um, it's, it's getting all the ideas I have in my head into somebody else's head and letting them go and run with it. Like, I, there's no way I could run or or play in all the campaigns that I can think of. But if I can get them into somebody else's hands, hey, somebody else can go and have fun with that world. Or, hey, this was a great idea, and I like it, but I don't necessarily want to play it, but I want to see it played. Like, there, there's, there's lots of games out there that I think are amazing games that just aren't my cup of tea. Mm, Apocalypse World, for example. I love the design. I love... The, the Powered by the Apocalypse movie that's come out of it. But post-apocalyptic stuff isn't my bag. You know, it's just not my cup of tea. Uh, right. So I'm happy it exists, but it's not something I want to do. In a, you know, uh, The Warren's another great one. It's an amazing and beautiful game, but I really don't want to play a game where bunnies get killed. It's just, it's, sorry, I can't. It just hurts my <laughs> heart, you know. But I want to see it out there, and I want to see it done. And and even though, like, you know, I, I watch horror movies to scare myself, doesn't mean I want to live through a horror movie. So, right. But there are people who would love to go to that, you know, go to a haunted house or play with a Ouija board or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so designing is my way of getting these weird ideas out of my head and into infecting other people with them and letting them go off and play and have fun with them. I love that. Yeah. Have there any, ever been any ideas that you're like just so excited about, but haven't gone the way that you expected? Um, so, so I'm still working on my uh, Regency hack of uh, Sagas of the Icelanders, where you're playing with uh, Regency romance novel tropes 
and the gender roles that are kind of embedded in there. And, and that's still not quite coming out the way I want it to. So I'm still, you know, there, there, there's always ideas that either sound better in my head than they do on paper. Because <laughs> that's a thing uh, that happens. Yeah. Or when I explain them or try to explain them to somebody else, I get blank looks, <laughs> which is also a thing <laughs> that sometimes happens, um, especially my husband. He, he gives me these like, are you what? He's like, yeah, okay, it's out of it in my head. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there, there's always going to be ideas that either weren't fully formed to begin with or were just too weird for for anybody else to really play with. So the reason I bring that up is because, you know, you hear that very old long time thing about, you know, learning from failures and and how they only make you better. Like, how do you feel those ideas that don't go the way you expected? How do you feel that they influence what does go the way that you expected? Or do they? Um, somewhat. Um, I, I've done a lot of things in my life like i i did cake designs for a while i did uh cooking competitions and so there's always something you can learn from not i feel you can learn more from not succeeding than you can from succeeding um because if you know what you did wrong you know how to do it better next time whereas if you do something right the first time and you know it's perfect and everybody loves it you never learn how to grow from that because there's where do you go from hey it's great there there's it's there's it's harder to go get better at it um that's actually one of the principles we kind of put into a rune was um one of the ways you advance is by not succeeding at something because learning from failure is is more important or not necessarily more important but as important as succeeding right so i've either learned in some ways, I've learned to to either explain myself better, which sometimes was the problem uh, with, with my ideas not quite going the way I, I expected them to, or to accept criticism gracefully, uh, which is always a, a problem sometimes too. It's a uh, it's like, oh well, you know that thing sucked. Okay, can you be a little more specific <laughs> than that sucked? Uh, you know what about you know what did right. you like? And so just soliciting feedback is like okay. And, and accepting that feedback, hopefully in the spirit that it was intended, which is not to, to harm you, but to help mm -hmm. you get better. And so do you have a network of designers who you work with kind of or reach out to on these sorts of things? Or do you prefer to bounce your ideas off of non-designers? Um, a little of both. I'm, I'm really lucky that a lot of my friends also design stuff. So even if I'm not actively asking them designer to designer, but more friend to friend, they're they're incredibly helpful to even just the act sometime of of saying it out loud or typing it um and, and getting it out of your head and onto a piece of paper or something is enough for you to see where okay this is where it could go wonky but again having somebody else even if it's not from a design point of view say hey that just sounds strange is that really what you meant to say um is, is helpful like, my husband is not a designer in any shape form or fashion but i still you know <laughs> probably too often in the middle of the night he's him and then say hey what about you know and and drive him slightly crazy like i'm asleep here it's like, okay maybe i should <laughs> bother you in the middle of the night 
That's when the best ideas come. Exactly. You know, so, okay, right now. <laughs> I have a hangouts with myself, like, between two of my uh, accounts that I constantly, it's like, all right, I have this idea, I have to write it down. And so I send myself a hangout message uh, to keep track <laughs> of it for later. Because uh, otherwise, in one ear out the other. Yeah, for sure. And and so I have friends who, who I trust their opinion. So even if they aren't actively designing something, I trust their mm -hmm. opinion. Um, and I trust that if I ask them something, they will be giving me feedback with honesty and with, but with love at, at the same time. So they're, they're not going to you know, say, hey, yeah, I don't see it to be a jerk, but because, you know, okay, well, you really don't, eh, it's not their cup of tea. Yeah. You know, they don't really see it. So it's a little bit, uh, <laughs> is the short answer to the question. Fair. Was there something specific that you felt that was, like, missing in the games that existed that drove you specifically to, like, begin including in your own design? Black women. <laughs> Tell me um, about that. Yeah, so, I mean, literally, uh, if you look at game art, um, if you look at, and it's starting to get better, but you would have a woman or a black man, but not usually a black woman. So, you know, the... the intersectionality is a thing you know i am both a woman and black right so you know i i don't get to choose one side or the other it's like i'm, I'm both so you know can can we can i have pictures of me in, in your books um mm -hmm. one of the first cons i went to uh dragon con down in atlanta i sat down at a D, &D table and i'm flipping through the book because i hadn't played D, &D. I i played other games i played earth on played you know um deadlands a few others uh, but I never actually played D&D. &D. So I'm flipping through the book, and the only picture I see that even looks vaguely like a black woman is what turns out to be a drow. Mm. Didn't know this. Looked like Storm. I'm like, okay, cool. I want to play her. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, write up a character. You know, the, the GM doesn't really say much about it, but my character walks into a tavern. I describe myself, and one of the other PCs slits my throat. And the GM just lets him. And I'm like, wow. So being a black woman is so, so stigmatized that you can apparently be killed on sight by other players. Wow. This is a problem. Yeah. Huge so, problem. Yeah. So, you know, I, I want to make sure that when my daughter enters uh, a con or a game, that there is somebody who looks like her. That there is somebody who looks like her, looks like mom, looks like grandma, can, that she can say, okay, I am proud to play this character. And that isn't just automatically, oh, you must be the evil one that lives underground and, and, and we should kill you now. Right. And that doesn't have to experience the same things that exactly. you experience or have the potential of experiencing in regular life. Yeah. You know, it, it, it's there's always a fine line with kids. Like, you want them to be safe. But you don't want to scare the crap out of them at the same mm -hmm. time. And I live in Baltimore, the city of Freddie Gray. During the uh, riots, they were the cops were actually suiting up in right here in the alley next to my kid's school. Oof. Yeah, so, you know, and my, at the time my kids were, uh, let's see, my younger was four and my older was seven or eight, I think. So, you know, you're going, you're picking up your kid. There's an alley full of cops in riot gear. You have to explain this now to a four-year-old and a seven-year-old in terms that they understand but aren't freaked out about. Right. And it's, it's tricky. Yeah. So trying to protect them from some of those experiences 
and making them better for everybody. Right. Not just them, but, but every kid. And have you found that experiences like that really influence not just character art and being able to see your character, but the way those characters' stories or story examples are written in your games? Um, yes. Uh, so one of the things I did um, recently was um, Rob Bull reached out to me to do a world for uh, his Misspent Youth expansion. And I, not so subtly, <laughs> um, put in uh, as the characters' names the names of five people who had been killed by police violence. And so every now and again, I get a, a ping on Facebook or Twitter. It's like, hey, I was reading your world, and I just wanted you to know I recognized what you did, and thank you. Mm -hmm. And so that's the kind of thing that I like to do, that I like to make people think. Even if it's a, a, a game, there's still room for understanding and teaching and having teachable moments without being overly preachy. Right. Because uh, the rest of the world was about um, black kids in a private school that was mostly white. Um, and if you know anything about misspent youth, it's all about authority versus versus the teens and what they'll have to do to, to face to survive in that world. Um, so other, my world was pretty vanilla, on the, except for that. It was, you know, benevolent racism. You know, it's like, oh, well, you're, you have to be the model minorities and, and subtle things like that. It wasn't, you know, people trying to actively hurt you it's they were actually being nice big air quotes <laughs> um but uh just putting in a different point of view is incredibly helpful like a lot of my friends uh are you know especially the white guys they're like oh you know you, you point out something it's like huh i never thought of it that way. and and that's a, a refrain that i hear a lot and so yeah having a diverse viewpoint gives somebody else it's like huh i never thought that way moment it's it's incredibly valuable and and just being able to open a book see yourself open a book see somebody who may not look like you mm -hmm. but who you've never seen represented in a book before is incredibly helpful you know i think about i'm a white woman and that inevitably comes with privilege like it can't not mm -hmm. and yet when i was younger and my friends and partners were playing games like D&D, &D, there wasn't a space for me at that table because that was a boys game. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I very rarely saw art of women. And yet now it feels like all of these different games in the world have, em have embraced the like the woman power. Mm -hmm. And I often say like, I see myself everywhere. I see like white women is Hollywood. <laughs> like I see that mm -hmm. everywhere. I don't need to see that. I want to see other people. Who, I want to hear other people's stories who I don't know of and who I don't get the chance to be exposed to because Hollywood and uh, so many different industries are so white biased. When I see some of the stuff that's happening in the U.S. and then I don't see the people who I see on the news all the time represented in games and in media, mm -hmm. it kind of blows my mind because I'm like, isn't isn't the population far more non-white in the U.S. than it is white? Yeah. Uh, and my favorite example of that is um, Fantastic Beasts. They set an entire movie of magical wizards in 20s Harlem. And there's what? Three black people, maybe? It's Harlem. <laughs> In the 20s, <laughs> Harlem Renaissance was a thing named after Harlem in the 20s. That is awkward. <laughs> but, you know, 
little things. It's like, did, did, did somebody not think this through when they were doing it? And the answer is no, they right. didn't. And, and so it, it's little things like that. I'm, and even, even when movies are cast with, uh, black actors, sometimes there's often a, a giant element of colorism. For example, in comics, Storm is always depicted as this dark-skinned, uh, white hair, super regal, but whenever every movie she's been played in, she's been played by a biracial, light-skinned actress. Interesting. But if every depiction of black people you see is actually of biracial people, it's not the same thing. It's not representative. Yeah, if if every depiction of a, a black actress under thirty that's a list is somebody who's light skinned or or biracial or otherwise more white passing than most black people are, then that's a problem. I mean, most of the time, um, darker skinned actresses don't start making it big in Hollywood until they get into their thirties. Um, like you, the, I can't. There are very few. I think Letitia Wright is one of the few dark-skinned actresses under thirty that have made it into like top-tier movies, right. and 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 that's a problem. Um, because yes, you're you're showing diversity, but if you're only showing diversity by picking actresses who look closer to what you think of as white, then who have you know uh, more European-centric beauty norms fit into then then we're still not really getting that same diversity you're just getting somebody who's got a really good tan almost and and my daughter's biracial so it's not that i don't want biracial actresses and biracial actors to be seen but male actors you tend to see across a lar much larger spectrum than you do with female actors and and it's kind of an odd thing and and so if that that trend tends to carry over into all kinds of media that we see represented so we, we see it in movies we see it in tv shows we see it in books mm -hmm. we see it in in other things and and often we'll see all right when when you've got a book that's written this way and then it gets adapted for screen they take that description and it's by the time it gets to the screen it's so changed that it's like are you sure that's even the same character that the act, that the the author originally wrote? Well, in that same sense, you know, you've got white passing actors and actresses, and then you've got these these stereotypes that are are built from a a far more overtly racist time in mm -hmm. our history, where you've got depictions of monsters being black. Mm -hmm. Like the drow, like your experience mm -hmm. with the drow is like, oh, the darker you are, the more evil you must be. Yeah. And, and I blame Tolkien for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, well, and that's, that's, that's a fantastic example. People like Gary Gygax, people like Tolkien, you know, they, they may have had some brilliant ideas and some wonderful imagination but that doesn't mean that they weren't sexist or racist or oh god <laughs> yeah if it i mean some so there have been some amazing writers who have been like oh my god i can't believe you actually did that and 
to some extent, yes, it was a different time. That's only an excuse for so long. Yeah, I mean, like, uh, for example, um, the original title of Agatha Christie's uh, Tin Little Indians. Look it up sometime on Wikipedia. You'll be amazed um, exactly what, what what that was and, and that she got away for, with it uh, at, at the time. Mm-hmm. So, for, for yes, to some extent it was, okay, yes, it was a different time. People were... A, allowed to be more overtly racist without facing reper- repercussions. And, and I say overtly because people are still doing it to the day, this day. It's just they know that if they're overt about it, you know, it's like you can't say, oh, uh, inward, you, you know, but, you know, you say, oh, urban youth. And that's kind of slang for, you know, and, and it has that subtext. Or if you, uh, there's another one that's kind of a euphemism for for uh, um like thug is the new n word for for that that people mm-hmm. use uh that it's it's coded it's a dog whistle this is what we mean when we you know when we say this is what we really mean but we can't really say that thing right. we really mean because then people will say we're racist whereas if we just say urban oh it must or inner city or you know welfare queen or any of those 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 dog whistles then you know what they mean right but nobody can come out and claim that, oh, I didn't say it was because. Like, no, but we know she Yeah. Mean. So in that sense, I think that that is some of the problem that designers today face is these historical kind of depictions that they're fighting against is, mm-hmm. you know, those depictions of of monstrous races like mm-hmm. even calling them monstrous races. Oh, here you can play a monstrous race, <laughs> and they tend yeah. to be not depicted as light skinned. Um, and that's kind of one of the reasons we we just kind of cut humans completely from Rune. Uh, we didn't. We wanted to make sure that none of those tropes and stereotypes crept in. We made sure that no race is. We were using species, not race, because you know it's it's not a race; it's a, it's a totally different species. Eh? Um, and that no species is particularly evil. And uh, there's there's no oh you know oh well he's the exception to the rule, uh, like uh, you know a racelin or a um, what's that's it uh yeah it's like oh well he's the exception we we, we kind of want to avoid that because you can't de- depict an entire species of, as mm-hmm. evil it's just there's no such thing right. i mean on this entire planet as a, a species of anything that's entirely evil right um you know i may not like spiders but they aren't intentionally going around you know trying to kill people it's they're just going about doing their they're they're minding their business yeah so we we tried to get away from those tropes we tried to make sure that we were getting away from some of the more Eurocentric fantasy tropes, like, you know, oh, well, you know, you're going to meet up in a bar, and you're going to go off and fight this evil race, and they're going to be, uh, you're going to know who they are on sight, and, you know, you're going to be able to, to just walk in randomly and just start killing people. It's like, no. Yeah. That's, that's not how the world works. Yeah. If you start doing that, you get thrown in jail. Yeah. Or at least you should. <laughs> yeah. And so do you, the way that the game is styled uh, or, or designed, is it very much in that kind of Star Trek adventure sense of more so like a discovery and exploration than it is um, a like fighty, uh, okay, now go take out this bad guy. <laughs> so so that's the, the, the joy of it. Because I am very much more of the, oh, hey, let's have a talk and let's have the diplomacy. And in the few games I've run, we've actually not actually fired any weapons. 
Um, <laughs> but in, for example, uh, Jerry and Aloy ran at Gen Con and a couple other places, and the their styles tend to be more of the, hey, let's go and solve this, and yes, the guns are probably going to come into play to solve it mm -hmm. more. Um, so I, I like that Arun allows for all of those approaches depending on what the players and the GM want. Right. Um, so if you want to have a, oh, hey, yeah, the, uh, the the merchant guild hired us to because this other merchant guild was doing this thing and we're just going to go in and we're, we're just going to take out that other merchant guild, sure, that's a, that's a way you can play it. Right. But at the same time, it allows for, oh, okay, well, they're having problems with the other merchant guild. Let's go talk to them, see if we can negotiate something so that they both are not necessarily happy, but they're not at the point where they want to kill each other. Right. Uh, anymore either it sounds like there's a lot of variety in it, it like yeah. both in playability in terms of species and also like like actual gameplay yeah um we, we tried to make it uh, fairly balanced because it, i i come from a story game tradition always more of a crunchy trad guy um so we, we kind of were trying to make a in happy middle ground uh between the two <laughs> two extremes yeah so and i think we, we think we did it so and how do you feel like it represents the the three of you on a greater scale it's not something that i would have come up with by, by myself uh like if if i were to have made it it would have been different than if aloy were to have made it alone, alone versus if jerry had made it alone but the three of us together made something that's still amazing it's it's not necessarily how either any of us would have done it solo and that's a beautiful thing absolutely there's nothing wrong with, you know, there's nothing wrong with the approach I would have had to it, but it wouldn't have been the same game, and I'm okay with that. Are there certain aspects of it that, like, looking back, you're like, oh yeah, this is totally me, versus this is totally Lloyd? Yeah, there, there, there's things in there that are that are definitely me, and there are things in there that are definitely, like, Jerry's fingerprints are all over it, <laughs> and, and there's definitely stuff that it's like, like, uh, Aloy did a lot of the mechanics stuff, because it's not my bag, yeah, you What's this mechanic? Why do we? Let's just talk about it. We don't have to roll that. We'll just talk about it. <laughs> um, so, so, and and Jerry's uh, kind of came up with a lot of the creative backstory of the world, uh, whereas I was more of the day to day. You know, these are who these people are, and these are the the their lives. Mm -hmm. So we we all each kind of stuck with our bailiwick and our strong suits, and and that helped uh, make it what it is. That's really cool. Like, I don't do art direction. <laughs> I, I kind of have, it's like, hey, you know, I kind of want it to look like this-ish. Like, my idea of art direction is, all right, here's my Pinterest board that I had that was my inspiration for this. <laughs> Go, figure it out. I um, love that. Yeah, Pinterest boards are a beautiful thing. Oh my gosh, yeah. Like, uh, especially even at the player level. Right, you know, <laughs> just, just having, just even just having a, this is my mental image for the character I'm about to play. Yeah. What would she do? It's like, so I have an entire board full of random avatars. It's like, I can pull up at a moment's notice. It's like, I want to play her today. What would she be like? <laughs> and, and, and little things like that, you know, just, just having a, there are some things that, you know, like, we decided early on that it's like, all right, if somebody feels strongly against something, it won't go in there. So, you know, three yeses or, you know, one no is enough to, to, to ditch an, an idea. But if it was just, eh, it's not the way I would have done it, we, we're, we're just going to let it go with it. Um, yeah. and, and that's worked out well for us. That's awesome. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. It sounds like you are a very good team. So how's your experience? It's like for this particular experience, it sounds like you've had a 
pretty positive experience mm-hmm. in the community with the community. Has your have your experiences always been good in the tabletop community? I've ex- um so I haven't experienced as much of the negativity in person. Partly because I don't go to a lot of cons, mm-hmm. uh, and the ones that I go to tend to be populated by people that I know and trust. Right. I, I have a, a personal rule for for tabletop games or at cons. It's like if I don't know at least one other person at the table, I'm not playing. Mm-hmm. And it serves me well because you know then you have somebody you know there who you can trust to to back you up mm-hmm. if if something goes weird uh, or pear shaped. But even that inherently, and that's like something that women deal with is just like oh just the basic nature that it's like i'm not going to do that if i don't have backup is like a really shitty thing that has to exist yeah and 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 it's a thing it it does exist and it's like we all just kind of live with it but (laughs) yes it's it's a low-level misogyny that we were all steeped in that we're we're kind of all used to and have figured out workarounds for which kind of sucks but at the same time it's it's odd and like so i've seen some um even at the cons i go to there have been a few issues with like blackface drow like all right we're we're there's a there's a larp going on yeah. it's upstairs even though the con runners have said hey we don't do that in the hallways if you're gonna have blackface you gotta apply it in the larp area and you have to remove it before you leave but you'll still occasionally see somebody walking through the lobby of the hotel and it's like look guys this is we discussed this <laughs> can we not do that i mean and and just i i still find it amazing that even now no matter how many times people said hey look this is why you don't do blackface there are still game runners who insist that oh well it's not really racist if because they're orcs or it's not really racist because they're drow or it's not really racist because they're a fantasy race if you have to start a sentence with it's not really racist then it's definitely racist yeah uh (laughs) yes in your world it may not be racist but you're walking through the lobby where i'm not a part of your world and it is racist outside of your your little little larp area so can we not do that yeah i did not consent to be in your world where blackface is a thing that is okay i live in the world out here and i'm out here where i did not consent to that at Mm -hmm. all so there's you know there's still some of that going around yeah there's still a certain amount of oh uh I never cared what the race of the designer of the game I played was. Uh, can we not have politics in games? Oh <laughs> uh, can we not put politics in comics? I'm like, dude, have you read Superman? I mean, he's kind of, that was kind of his whole shtick. Art is you politics. Know, Captain America's always Captain America's first cover was him punching Hitler. I mean, come on, it's always politics. Yeah. Um. So so there's still far too much of that there's still far too much of when people um complain um about a lack of diversity in a book the response is still too often it's like well why don't you go and make your own thing and so then when somebody does go off and make their own thing it's like oh are you gonna hire white guys like you know well did you apply you know did you turn in something that was actually something i wanted to read and and i i kind of 
rant blog I've had a lot on on my blog. Uh, when when I when I am motivated enough to actually write out something, it's usually something has happened that has made me rant and rant at a point to a point where it's like, yes, I I think I'm going to actually have to spit this one out into the world and and put it out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of it is is I do with a veneer of fiction over it. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it I do just straight out like, look, you guys are being idiots and you're driving me crazy and can you not do mm-hmm. that? So yes, it's still there are still issues. They are I I can safely say are getting better, mm-hmm. but they they still aren't over. No, yeah. I think that, like, in my experience, is that the more I've talked to designers and, and gamers and, and people of, of various backgrounds, is every story is so important. And if I've got to grow up seeing Disney princesses who look like me, why shouldn't all the other girls get to see Disney princesses who look like them? Yeah. And and the, the the princess who looked like me spent like three quarters of her movie as a frog. Yeah. So there's that. <laughs> yeah. And and I mean like it's why you have conversations about like even some of your favorite things can be problematic. You can love Storm and then oh, yeah. have Storm still be problematic. Yeah. I get really excited when I find work that is done by somebody who is different than me because it means that a whole different kind of life experience and game experience and thought that I would have never been able to experience went into the the design and the storytelling and and the world that makes it so unique and and so interesting for me yeah i mean and there's there's all kinds of stories like monster hearts is is a great example yeah monster hearts could not have come out of a straight white guy oh god no it just couldn't have no the interrogation of experience of being different and and queer and and not accepted and seeing yourself as a monster would not have come out of of somebody who hadn't been experiencing that themselves. Exactly. And so there's all kinds of stories like that that can only come from somebody who is outside this very narrow box of normal that uh, media and society says mm-hmm. is normal. And then validating that. Yeah. Like those stories and those histories and, and those creations are all valid. Mm-hmm. They represent valid people. Yeah. <laughs> and so... For you, when you're talking about representing yourself mm-hmm. and, and putting black women into design, what is it that drives you to encourage everybody to see that? I'm phrasing that poorly. Like you're you're appealing to people who look like you because you haven't seen that yourself in media. And how do we get people outside of those groups to appreciate it and outside of those groups to want to experience it. Yeah, I mean, I mean uh, let's just take the Oscars, for example. I think there's still only five, maybe only four, black women who have won an Oscar. And the stories that they've told have been remarkably similar that they've won the Oscars for. They're always women who are somehow being abused uh somehow being uh they're 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 not the main character of their own stories they're supporting characters they are there to either teach some some white guy or white girl something it the stories are still being told about the white people with the black people 
in supporting roles and 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 pushing them towards their own self discoveries. Right. Like the the help is an uh, as an example. You know, you've got this this story with all these wonderful characters. You know, you've got Viola Davis, but the story at its core is still about how this little white kid's growing up and explaining it and and learning from these women. It's not the story of the women themselves. So, yes, you're seeing more diversity, but you're still not seeing the diversity centered on the black women as protagonists themselves. Right. They're still, you know, the, the moms or the, the best friends or the few where they are, it's shunted off into, oh, it's a black movie. Oh, it's a chick movie. Oh, it's still not taken as seriously because it centers something other than that default. And I I want to break down that barriers and break right. down that siloing because our stories aren't any more political than your stories. They're just coming from us. You know, my existence is not inherently political. I'm black, I'm a woman. That's just the reality. Right. They're intersections. Yes. And just because I'm black and a woman and I'm proud of being black and a woman doesn't make what I say or my story any more inherently political than, oh, you're you're white and a guy and straight. Yeah. Okay, great. Does that mean that every story about a straight white guy is a political story too? Yeah. Because either it is or it isn't. Right. You know, either all of the stories are political because they center something different about something or they're not. Right. For you, is building games like Orin is breaking down those barriers by saying like we're removing humans out of the out of the game like that just doesn't exist is is that kind of the the thought behind that of breaking those barriers yeah it's it's one way of partly it's it's abstracting it it's like if all of the characters are non-human there's no way in your head that you're head canoning no matter you know you know how no matter how explicitly somebody says uh describe somebody in a novel or something as being you know okay well they've got coily hair they've got dark skin they've got you know it's like oh well in my head canon she was still a white guy or still, still a white girl it's like okay i i don't so if we just take all right look it's a bug <laughs> there's no way you're gonna head cannon it into a white guy yeah <laughs> or it's this kind of tentacled, uh, octopusy kind of looking creature. There's no way you're going to default headcanon that mm -hmm. into a white guy. Yeah. Um. So part of it is breaking yourself of that habit. Right. Where no matter what you're portraying or what you're reading, you're defaulting it to that that kind of straight white human mm -hmm. default. And I'm assuming there is no default in Orin in nope. terms of species. Nope. nope. Every species is completely valuable as playable. Um, there is no, like, one species that exists more. There is no one species that from which all the others flow. There is no... There's no, like, downtrodden species that has... Yeah, I mean, it, it, it totally depends on, you know, what planet you're on. You know, like, the planet might be downtrodden, but all the species on it are probably downtrodden. Right. Uh, yeah, yes, there is some friction between some of the species because, you know, anytime you have more than two people in a room, you're going to have some friction somewhere. Oh, absolutely. It's just a matter of how much friction. Yeah. So part of it was, you know, yes, we, we want to make sure that when you're playing, you're not defaulting in your head to this is what it's like. And, and mm -hmm. there's other games that have kind of interrogated that and made you actually think about, okay, am I am I making the least interesting choice by choosing to play, you know, 
a human fighter. Like uh, Urban Shadows, the way they ordered the um, the looks list and 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 it's like race and and they listed them. And uh, I think African Americans first and white is last because I think they put them alphabetically. I could be wrong about that. <laughs> but you're so you're when you're reading through it, you're not you're not seeing the most obvious or most likely choice right. that you're gonna think of first. You're not seeing that to last, so you're just like, oh wait, there's all these other options in between that I could choose from before you get to to okay, straight white guy, <laughs> which. I, I think is you know is brilliant. It's 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 a little it's a nice little mindfulness hack. I mean, you know, if anything that makes you interrogate thinking outside that that little square box of of what you think mm -hmm. a hero is or what you think uh, a protagonist right. is, is is good in my book. Now, and one of the things I've noticed is if you in like especially in real life or, or in conversations online, if you specify, oh. This white guy did this. One of the first comments you'll see is like, "Why you gotta call? It, why is it gotta be about race?" Like, okay, I described him as a white guy. Why does that make it about race? You know, it's like being explicitly called out as white sometimes makes people lose their absolute shit. Which is like, you can't have it both ways. Either I gotta tell you when somebody isn't white, or I can just say, "Okay, when I'm describing somebody, I'm gonna describe everybody, whether they're white, whether they're right. black, whether I'm gonna say it up front so that you know which one I'm talking about." Exactly, and that transcends from gaming to like real life. Yeah. <laughs> is you can't describe some people and not other people. Yeah, like. Look, I I am the black chick with the blue hair standing over in the corner. You know, it's like this is just a descriptor. If if you're trying to figure out which one is Misha, she's the black chick with the blue hair over in the corner. She's kind of tall. You know, it, there's nothing wrong with using race as part of the description. Right. It's just it just is. It's often the shorthand. You know. You know, it's like oh yeah, my my husband is the white guy with the bald spot and the black hair and you know, the glasses right there. You know, it's like it it makes it easy. If you're talking, especially, like, my, my son's class has three sets of people that have the same name. Mm -hmm. Like, so there's two Ryans, there's two, I think, Dylans, and there's two something else. And so, but there's either, like, there's girl Ryan and boy Ryan, so there's, like, a different, there's a girl Dylan and a boy Dylan, and then there's, I forget what the third one is, but one is the, the black kid and one is the white kid. So it's like, all right, it's, no, I, I mean the white Dylan, not the black Dylan, or, you know, mm -hmm. sometimes it's, that is the shorthand, and it's right. easier to say, you know, people will sometimes tap dance all the way around using race as a descriptor when, honestly, that's really going to be the fastest way to do it, <laughs> especially if you're trying to just point somebody out. And it's not it's not a wrong thing to use race no. as a descriptor if you're applying no. that to everybody. Yes. It becomes a wrong thing when you only use race as a descriptor for the non-default in your head, like to what you feel is the non-default. So I, I find that that sort of experience is the, the kinds of things that can be put into games and can be put into a safe space where you can kind of get checked on some of those things or be in a safe space to explore those sorts of things mm -hmm. and that's a beautiful thing that i think games do is they provide a space to talk about all of these different areas and still have a fun time and play a game through a wacky adventure and get to do cool things that you couldn't do in real life yeah I mean, it gives you a place to explore aspects of yourself aspects of your personality i, I i've heard monster hearts described as as helping a lot of people accept their queerness. I've heard of other games helping people accept 
other parts of themselves that they hadn't really interrogated before. <laughs> like Bluebeard's bride's been helpful oh. for for a while. Yeah. It's oh my an god! Amazing game. I have not had um, the chance to play. I oh, own it, so and good. I just want to play it oh, so, so badly. Um, <laughs> so, so good. But it's it's helped a lot of people um, either come to terms with their trauma or explain to themselves where these things are coming from. Right. Um, and and games can be a space for that. Games can be incredibly transformative and helpful, and and help you. Think of something in a different way that you hadn't thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, and the only way we can get that, though, is if we encourage people from different viewpoints to write those games and to get them out there. Right. Because we're never going to hear those stories if the only people that ever get promoted are the same, like, three white guys that have always been being promoted. Right. Exactly. And on that scale, it's like the the impact of seeing yourself can be extremely powerful mm-hmm. and you hear that from i mean i've had that experience the first time i heard a woman gm a game i was like wait women are allowed to gm what <laughs> i didn't know that yeah. cool yeah I, I i gotta say i was incredibly lucky with my first like couple of groups where it's like for for, for a bunch of nerd boys they were pretty progressive nerd boys <laughs> for, for the 90s you know yeah awesome that's fantastic. So I, I, I think if my my Dragon Con experience had been my, my first experience with RPGs, I would have never come back to them. But I had cool tables before then, so it was okay. Yeah, exactly. And, and the, the sad thing is that experience that you had may well have been a first-time player's experience yep. and turned them off forever. Yep. And we'll never know. Because the, the people who are left are the people who are either too stubborn to leave because, you know, no, this is my space, I'm not seeding it, or who found something there and, and found something worth staying for. Right. We'll never hear from all the people who came in, tried it once, tried it, you know, even a couple of times and just couldn't put up with the abuse and the, yeah. the crap that went, went along with it. So what is it for you that is worth staying for? I have met so many amazing people uh, through games. Some of my best friends I met through playing games. And having that that time to play, that time to explore, that time to create, set aside. Even if it's, you know, like most of my games nowadays, we're all old. We all have kids. So most of my games nowadays are through Hangouts. Um, one of my groups is scattered across like four or five states on the eastern seaboard we see each other in person maybe two three times a year at cons but otherwise it's like you know every other tuesday we're we're sitting together we're still interacting we're still having fun we're still talking to each other we're still telling stories we're still you know being friends we're still meeting that that uh that social need and and being it, like now all of our kids are getting to the age where they're starting to play with us and they're starting to run you know have little mini larps at, at cons they're starting to get invited to you know like all right one of us will run a, a game for the kid and the kids will play you know, a pillion or or uh we tried aegon which 
little girls are bloodthirsty, by the way. Uh, <laughs> if you didn't know this, they they are. Woo. But they're starting to get into playing as well, and and he's like, "Oh, what are you? Is this what mommy and daddy do when they go in the basement uh, on Tuesdays?" He's like, yes, this is what mommy and daddy do in the basement on Tuesdays. <laughs> and so, starting to, to to pass that on to the next generation, and and seeing them experiencing it for the first time is is amazing. And experiencing it in like a a safe and positive and like yes. meaningful way. Yeah. I love that. That's beautiful. Yeah. So this has been an amazing conversation, Misha. Good. Thank you so I'm much. I'm glad you did. <laughs> so, Misha, why don't you tell me about the Kickstarter where we can find Orin, uh when sure. it when it's ending, what we can expect from it. Maybe a hint at some of the stretch goals. Uh, so uh, let's see, some of our stretch goals. Uh, we've got uh, additional species and additional worlds coming from both our, our core set of 11 and from some uh, writers. We've uh, Bree Sheldon, Kira McGron, Nicole Winchester have all agreed to, to do stretch goals for us. Uh, so they'll be bringing in maybe new worlds, maybe new tech, maybe, you know, something cool. We we, we invited them to just like, hey, tell us something cool that you would like to add to, to, to our uh, to our world. Uh, so uh, the Kickstarter runs through November 11th. Uh, you can find details at newagendapublishing.com. Um, and uh, if you look up uh, New Agenda Publishing, oh, I think it's... I think if you look up New Agenda Publishing on Kickstarter, you should be able to find it. Uh, I think you should also be able to find it if you look up Arun, O-R-U-N. I'll make sure to include all the links in the show notes. And then, uh, yeah, you can follow us on Twitter. Uh, we have a Facebook page. Uh, we have a Google community. So, yeah, there's if you're on social media, you can probably find this, except for Instagram, because I couldn't figure out what to do for an Instagram. So. <laughs> Fair enough. To leave us off, like, what do you think is the most magical thing about Oren? Like, what, what just makes it so amazing? I'd have to say the different species that we have because they're all so different and they're all have something that makes them amazingly cool we have uh the aquatic species that has bioluminescent scales and can kind of blend in with stuff we've got the uh insectoid species that reproduces by hatching an egg and then the egg hatches and eats the body of the the, the previous host and so they kind of pass along memories that way and and so it's it's little things like that and there's something cool about each of the species and i'm i'm kind of amazed that they all there's not one that i don't want to play which is there's usually like usually in a game there's like one's like yeah that one's okay um and and i'm kind of really amazed that there's not any of them that i'm like yeah that's okay i'm I'm really jazzed about all of them so that's awesome yeah fantastic thank you so much for coming on to talk to yeah, me thanks for having today, me Misha. this has been a really fantastic chat yeah um, so if you're looking for me personally, um, outside of, of, of Arun, uh, I'm, I blog at blackgirlgameworks.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter, not as much on Facebook. I mean, I'm there, but I don't have as much of a presence. Mostly Twitter and Google Plus if you're looking for me. Uh, and if you're looking for New Agenda, like I said, we're pretty much everywhere. Awesome. Support for the I Am Here podcast, presented by RPG Casts, is made possible by listeners like you. 
You can help the show going for as little as $1 a month when you become a patron on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash rpgcasts to check out exclusive rewards for patrons and to make your pledge. The intro and outro music for I Am Here was composed by Emily E. Mayo. Special thanks to Peter Grelly for designing the graphic art and assets for both RPG casts and for I Am Here. Thank you so much for listening. It means so much.